0: Episodes like this make me wonder just how emotionally unbalanced I must be. I mean, Part 1 got me so excited in that prepubescent way I must have gotten when this episode first aired and I was 10. Cowboys, barbarians, pirates, an island of dinosaurs, all in a single episode, and all there just to help foist an entire new wave of characters on you. If there was a precise mathematical formula for writing the perfect cartoon for a 10-year-old in 1985, Dinobot Island Part 1 was it. Somehow, though, Part 2 just pales in comparison. And it has all the same stuff that part one had, but this time... I don't know. It just doesn't work somehow. Which brings me back to my emotional imbalance. Has my mood shifted so much in a single week that I'm somehow no longer in touch with that ten-year-old version of me? Or is it possible that the writer somehow managed to fumble the perfect plot by stretching it to a second part? Oh yeah, it's that one. I am sane. You want a for instance? Great, I got one ready to go. Remember how we left the Dinobots sinking in tar at the end of the last episode? I guess Donald F. Glut doesn't, because the issue isn't even addressed till we're past the 15-minute mark of this 22-minute show. And by not addressed, I mean not addressed. It's not like the characters we're watching are wondering where the Dinobots are. Nope, they're busy with their own problems. Which, in case you forgot, involves a series of time warps opening up all over the place. That blinking part on the map is the library. I guess the blue part does mean land. Buster Bluth was right. We get some pretty ugly Autobot propaganda in mid-action scene as well. Remember, those creatures are flesh and blood, not unfeeling machines like the Decepticons. That's wow. Nothing says ethnic cleansing like dehumanizing the enemy or de-robotizing. Whatever. I thought you were supposed to be the good guys. Ironhide refusing to be outdone by that upstart Inferno shows us that he can also shoot white goo. I realize that it seems I've been overly fixating on this detail for the last few episodes, but I assure you, I just report what they show me. Like this, the classic loading the woolly mammoths into a truck trailer scene. Man, what a classic. So subtle, so meaningful. So the Autobots closed the time portal by... shooting at it. Which if you needed another sign that the writer just kind of gave up on part two, there you go. But wait, we can go even lower. Because despite the introduction of Perceptor, a dedicated scientist character, so Wheeljack can concentrate on inventions and Ratchet can concentrate on repairs, we still somehow had to bring Chip in to solve everything. I'm pretty sure the series Bible has a troubleshooting flowchart that says something like, stuck in a science problem, call Chip. Stuck in an insurmountable action sequence, call the Dinobots, who, by the way, in case you forgot, are still in the tar. Remember, we don't come back to that till the episode is 75% over. And I thought Lost invented that tactic. We get a couple of additional new Autobots, including Sea Spray, who turns into a boat and sounds like every water-based character on every 80's cartoon. By which I mean he sounds like he's always gargling. And that's not at all annoying. Also there's Trax. He's a flying Corvette who strikes me as a little bit... well, gay. But we'll get more into that later. Oh boy, will we? We're also introduced to a few more Decepticons. These conehead guys are the exact same toy mold as the original three jets. Starscream, Skywarp, and Skywarp. I, I mean Thundercracker. Yes, not only the Decepticons get the short end of the reinforcement stick, but the toys are almost exactly the same as what you already owned. Which, I guess, is why they suggest you leave out a step in their transformation, which puts that dumb little cone on their heads. That way you don't realize you bought the same toy three more times, because you're just a stupid kid and you really can't tell the difference. Donnie Glutt continues phoning it in as Jazz once again attempts to solve a problem by using the power of his rock. Now, I realize I said that I'd never get sick of this bit, and in and of itself, I really won't. But when you throw it in with all the other horrible cliches and lazy resolutions, even that can't help dig you out of this hole. 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 Why does that sound familiar? Did we forget something? Oh, right! Imminent danger! Oh, the Dinobots just burned their way out of the tar using their fire breath. So it was never really a danger in the first place. Good thing we waited. Meanwhile, beachcomber, who only a few scenes earlier professed his devotion to pacifism, does this. Like, I hope we don't destroy this place before we can study it. Ooh, wow. If only there was something you could do to stop destroying the place, if only. So the Autobots win, blow up Megatron's cubes and take the Dinobots' home, because apparently they don't need wide open spaces after all. Looks like it's back into the closet with you guys. I'd have stayed in the tar if I were you. And now it's time for this week's science lesson. But those energies might upset the chronological balance of this island. It already drifts precariously in the sea of time. Scientific Megatron, I couldn't have said it better myself. This one might not be the funniest quote or the most interesting or the most awkward, but I think it really does show why Optimus Prime is the leader of the Autobots. Just listen to this incredible intellect. There were no Decepticons around, but someone or something must have caused that Time Warp. That again? It could have been a freak event.